Well, if you're new with us, let me introduce myself. My name's Johnny Pereira. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at Salem Chapel. I know we may have people in here that don't call this place your home. You're visiting, you're here today uh, to celebrate um, a child or people have been baptized or whatever it may be. We are so thankful that you're here today. Um, and we're glad that you are here with us here at Salem Chapel. And so let me just let you know where we've been. We have started a series last week entitled, Why Church? Now, I don't know if you've asked that question during this last year of 2020, uh, but, and if you haven't, you probably need to ask it. Like, like, why do we do this? Why do we take time about our Sunday morning and gather together and sing to Jesus and open up the Bible and, and sit under teaching and why should I be connected to a community, to a local church? Like, why do we do that? I think that is a tremendous question to ask. Like, I don't know about you, but when I'm asked questions, I don't get offended by that. I actually welcome it because I think we need to be people that are inquisitive people that are asking ourselves, why do I do this? And so in thinking of everything that we've come out of and in many ways still in, and, and even in our churches, as pretty much every church across the United States has had to, had to close their doors and and and. Me, along with many other pastors, had to speak to an empty room to a video camera, and you watched us on your TV screen. You may be watching us online right now because there's a circumstance that doesn't allow you to yet uh, be gathered together, whether it's in this church or maybe your, your church that you're connected to, whether it's in another part of the country or whatever. I think it's a great opportunity for us in the reality that we've all been taken out of our routines, and maybe church for you is a routine, and really ask ourselves, why do we do this? Like, it's a great time for you to take inventory for everything in your life. And so whether or not you've been with us in person since we opened up at the end of June, or whether you're just starting to come back, or whether you haven't come back yet, I want us to look at the Bible and see what the Bible has to say about why we need to be connected to a church. Who is the church? Who founded the church? What's the purpose of the church? What are the benefits of the church? Why should it be a conviction in my life? We're gonna answer all those questions. We answered some last week. But this morning, what we're gonna focus on is the purpose of the church, the mission of the church. Here's what I found interesting. I came across this recent Gallup poll in this article that was written on December 10th, or December 7th, I'm sorry, 2020, so at the end of last year, it was titled this, Americans' Mental Health Ratings Sink to a New Low. So that piqued my curiosity. So this, there was a recent Gallup poll in this article that showed the effects of the pandemic on mental health. And if we're being transparent this morning, all of us struggled, some of us more than others. Maybe we reached a point of depression, maybe we were discouraged, maybe we were just like, man, I just feel like I'm in a fog, whatever it is. All of us to some extent were faced with this or are being faced with this. Here's what I think is interesting. Don't put the chart up there just yet, but 34% of the people that were surveyed in this Gallup poll said that their mental health is excellent, which was actually down from 43% in 2019. 
So what it says in this article is Americans, America's latest assessment of their mental health, when this article was written based on this Gallup poll, is worse than it's been at any point in the last two decades. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not a shock to me in having, being in the business of working with people and, and knowing enough people who would, who would affirm that. But what I want you to see on this chart behind me is... So they did this chart, and you see the different demographics. You got male and female. You got party identification. So if you're a Republican, if you're a Democrat, if you're an independent, uh, if you're white, if you're non-white, married, not married, your age group, your household income. Like they went through all of these dem- dem- different demographics. Now, if you see what I circled, I want you to notice something. This is not put on by a church, by the way. So this is not like this is a secular Gallup poll. Only people that jumped up to say that their mental health was better in 2020 than it was in 2019 are those who attended religious services weekly. Like I saw that, I was like, holy cow, that's actually interesting. Now, did you notice? Look at it with me. Those, I feel like I needed a laser pointer. Um, Those who attended religious services nearly weekly or monthly, they dropped 12 points. Seldom or never drop 13 points. Why do I show that? Because when we ask ourselves, why church? And if I'm feeling today, like, like I'm, I mean, I just can't get out of my fog. I just can't, I, I'm, I'm having trouble thinking about re-entering society and what it looks like again to do that. Like some of you are like, man, I'm fully vaccinated and all that, but I'm still struggling in my soul on, on what it looks like to get back to normal. It's actually interesting that the people did not, did not disengage themselves from God's word and the church are the only group of people who could actually say, you know what, it's not saying that 2020 wasn't hard, but, but I was able to grow closer in my relationship with the Lord, which by default helped my mental health. I just think that that's so interesting and just sets the stage for why we are asking the question, why church? Now, last week we dealt with Acts 2, 42 through 47, which gives the kind of the model for what a gathering community involves. Like when we gather together like we're doing today, why do we do what we do? And Acts 2, 42 through 47 gives us the model of that. What did they experience? They experienced instruction from the Bible. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So they would gather together and they would open up God's word. What else would they do? They would have fellowship with other followers of Jesus. It says that they broke bread. um, They celebrated communion together. They were with each other. They were around. There was fellowship, like encouragement, camaraderie, community. There was fellowship with other followers of Jesus. There was an expectation of God to do the miraculous. This all fell on them as they see, saw God do things that only he could get the credit for. And what else was there? There was celebration of God's activity in and through the church. Like they were praising God. They were seeing their church grow. Why do I mention those things? Because every one of those things ought to be evident when we gather together. And we sit under God's word. There's fellowship. Right, as these people were standing up here, 
saying, man, this is my church family and these kids are given to me by God and I'm saying in front of my church family and before God that I'm gonna commit, that I'm gonna do my best, though not perfectly, but I'm gonna do my best to raise these children to know who Jesus is and know about his love for them and they're doing that with their church family. Tim and Kristen, being in the baptismal, what are they doing? They're proclaiming to their church family that we are followers of Jesus Christ. It's an example of lives changing of God doing the miraculous, of celebrating what God is doing. There's a reason why we do the things that we do when we gather together in the church. The answer is not, oh, we just kind of always did it that way. I was joking around with a family when I was coming in. Man, I used to wear suits and ties every Sunday morning. Is there anything wrong with a suit and tie? Absolutely not. Right, I used to sing out of a hymnal First, second, and fourth verse. Not the third, only the first, second, and the fourth for some reason. Couldn't tell you why, but, but I used to do that. It's the church I grew up in. Nothing wrong with a church singing out of hymnals. Nothing wrong with that. Don't hear me say that. Those churches are doing the same thing. My point is, have we ever asked ourselves, man, I wonder why we open up the Bible together? I wonder why we sing together. I wonder why we encourage people to get into small groups and get to know other people and do things so that you can get to know other people. I wonder why we celebrate when God does something miraculous. I wonder why we do those things. You wanna know why? Because it's what God's word says. And so as we come out of 2020 and having to be separated, maybe some of us not being able to do those things because of health reasons or whatever it is, and all of us wanting to, to, to not be rebels, but to, but to wanna love one another, and we took precautions and all of those things, but that was never meant to be normative. Because if it was normative, we wouldn't be able to do what is a model of what it looks like to come together. So here's the title of the message this morning. The church has a mission. That's what I want you to understand this morning. What's the purpose of the church? What's the mission of the church? And here's the idea that I wanna get today, and then we're gonna look at some passages of scripture that affirm this idea. Here's what I want you to understand, that the church is Jesus Christ means to accomplish his mission in the world. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a part of the church. You place your trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior, as the forgiveness of your sins, you are part of his church. So his church is made up of every person across this world who's placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And people who make up the church universal globally are made up of local churches like Salem Chapel. And so what is our responsibility, and why do we do what we do? We do it because we've been given a mission, and that's what I wanna talk about this morning. That's what I wanna expound on. So if the church is the means to accomplish Christ's mission, then we need to ask ourselves this question. What is Jesus' mission for the church? Well, I would say to you, that's a great question to ask. Here it is to make disciples. That is Jesus' mission for you, 
for me, for Salem Chapel, for every church on the face of this earth. That is our mission. Our mission is to make what? Disciples. Disciples. Here's why I say that. Don't take my word for it. Turn to Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. This is the first passage of scripture we're gonna look at. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. So Jesus has already risen from the dead. And what we're about to read, he's about to ascend into heaven as we find in Acts 1. And look at what we find ourselves in in Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Verse 17, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some, what does it say? Doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now I just wanna make some observations from this passage of scripture that shows us why we can say that Jesus' mission for his church is to make disciples. Here's the first observation I want you to see. Do you see there in verse 17 that that you have these group of people that have gathered together to worship him? Now, in verse 16, it says, when the 11 were there, the 11 disciples of Jesus. If you have any kind of concept of the New Testament, you're like, well, Johnny, I thought there was 12 disciples. There was. Judas was one of those 12. Judas betrayed Jesus. Then Judas was consumed with guilt. He committed suicide. So that's why we have here 11 and not 12. But most people believe there was more than 11 here. So there was a gathering of people here. 1 Corinthians 15 says that 500 saw Jesus before he ascended into heaven. So there could, have been, there could have been 500 here. We have no idea the number. All that I'm saying here that I think is interesting in this first observation from this passage of scripture is there was some assemblance of a crowd and what were they were doing? They were worshiping Jesus. They were followers of Jesus. But did you notice here? This is what stuck out to me. Did you see the last three words of verse 17? It says, but some doubted. So you got this worship service, can we call it that this morning, this worship service, and you got people that are worshiping their hearts out. Man, they are all in, they're completely bought in. And then you got this other group of people that it says, and some of them doubted. Did they doubt who Jesus said he was? No, they did not. Why do I say that? Because that word doesn't mean unbelief, it actually means hesitation. Right, like they were the people, don't be offended if, you're, if, if this is you. They would be the people that are sitting on the very back row, not if you're sitting on the back row, this is you, but you're sitting on the back row and you're kind of like sitting there because this is your motivation. I'm not too sure about this. Like I believe that Jesus is the Lord, but I'm not too sure about how that jives with the circumstances that I'm experiencing. So you're hesitant. Doesn't mean you're not saved, doesn't mean you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, but you're hesitant. That was going on at this time, think about it. You're standing there worshiping someone that you saw was dead three days ago. That might cause you to be a little questioning. 
So you're there and you're hesitant about that. Maybe you're hesitant about, well, what, what, is, what is Jesus' plan now? Like he was dead, now he's risen, what is he gonna do? Like there was various reasons why they were hesitant. The Bible doesn't tell us. All we know is that they were. And I think the application for us today as we sit here in a crowd like this, maybe sitting in your living room, we can have people in here that are like, man, you might be a reflection of that chart, and you might be, you know what, Johnny? It was hard in 2020, but you know what? I actually grew closer to the Lord in this year than I did the year before in 2019, and praise God for that. And there may be people in here that were like, you know what? I really, I really struggled, and, and to be honest with you, I really disengaged from church, and I really didn't open up my Bible, and I really didn't ever talk to the Lord and pray to him other than slinging up a prayer as a 911 hoping he'd get me through something. And, and you sit here today, and you're like, you know what? I find myself more hesitant than worshipful. And can I say that it's okay to admit that. It's not okay to stay there, but it's okay to admit that. The Lord knows it anyway. But I love that Jesus doesn't just speak to the people who are all in. He says the same thing to the people that are worshiping him fully, and he's saying to the same people that are allowing something to cause them to be hesitant. He says the same thing to both groups to get them on track, to get them to hear what his mission is for their life. And I think there's two things from this passage of scripture that can move you from a hesitant place with the Lord to a completely worshipful place with the Lord. Can I give them to you? Here's the first one. You make it a point to trust in Christ's authority over your life. Because what does Jesus say before he ever asks them to do anything? He reminds them who he is. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. I'm in control. And listen, there have been moments in my life where I have believed that theologically and believed that academically and believed that that's what God's word has said. But there have been moments in my life where I have said, God, this is who you say you are, but this is what I'm experiencing, and I am hesitant right now because who you say you are and what I'm experiencing are not jiving. So here's what the Lord is not saying, because when we're in that place, here's what we can say. God, you say you're in control, but I'm not experiencing it. So I'm at a crisis point right now because I'm having trouble believing that the Bible is what it says it is because what I'm experiencing does not jive with what is found in this verse of Matthew 28, what Jesus says in verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me because God, if you had all authority, then you wouldn't have allowed this to happen. Why do I say that? Because I've been there. So you're not alone. You're like, man, I, I wanted to say that 2020, my mental health and my relationship with the Lord was stronger, but it wasn't. I'm hesitant today. Well, here's what I've found when I've been in those spots. Is I had to remind myself 
that the things that I'm experiencing that I can look to and say these circumstances don't match that you're in control, I bring myself back to, well, I live in a sinful world. Sin's all around me. That's why we have disease. That's why we have natural disasters. It's because we live in an imperfect world. That's why I hurt people when I sin against them, and that's why I'm experiencing hurt when they sin against me. But wait a minute, when I understand and I bring myself back to the place that, Lord, in the midst of that sinful world that I live, I believe that you lived and you died and you rose again, and I have the Holy Spirit And therefore, if I walk alongside of you and grow in my walk with Jesus, I'm giving you opportunity to redeem and restore the pain, the fear, the anxiety, the shame, the guilt, whatever it is, so that I can see, you know what? In the midst of this sinful world, you have come to redeem and restore it, and will one day sin will be no more. So God, it's an opportunity in the midst of this for me to understand that all authority in heaven and in earth has been given to you because I'm giving you opportunity by trusting in that for you to work the things that aren't good for good. To see a purpose in them. See, that's why I say it's, it's not a shameful thing to say you're in a hesitant place. No, no, no. It's the first step to change. Because crisis brings change. And so when Jesus says to these people, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's saying it to the people that are already experiencing it, and he's saying it to the hesitant. And God's doing the same thing with you this morning. And I love that we see the grace and care of Jesus, that before he says, I want you to do this, he starts off by saying, I want you to have a proper understanding of the one who is giving this command to you. Because not only do we need to trust in Christ's authority over our life, to move from a hesitant place to a worshipful place. But we also need to be obedient to what Christ says is our mission for our life. Do you understand that for you? Like if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that Jesus has a mission for your life. It's not just about accumulating money and accumulating accolades and accumulating power and accumulating relationships. Not that any of those things are intrinsically bad but my life is more than what I can gather for myself. And that's what Jesus is saying here. I've put you on this earth for a reason. I've saved you for a reason. And it's not for you to live for yourself. I've given you a mission. And what does he say his mission is? Go therefore and make disciples. Remember what I said? When you see therefore in God's word, it means to go up above it and to see what it says. So here's what the Lord is saying. Hey, I care for you. I'm in control. I have all authority over all things. Live in that reality. Allow that to speak to your pain. Allow that to speak to your doubts. Because here's what I want you to understand. I want you, based on that reality, to go and to make disciples. In your going, make disciples. Me understanding, wait a minute, I have the family God has given me for a reason. 
I have the spouse that God has given me for a reason. I live on the street that I live for a reason. I go to the school that I go to for a reason. I have the job that I have for a reason. So what Jesus is saying is, is you don't have to look on who you need to make disciples. You just need to say, in what you're already doing, in your going, use those opportunities to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's why I love, like I didn't plan it this way, it just kinda happened that we have all of these perfect illustrations of what we've done today that literally drive home this reality. Why do we do church? Because of what you saw today. Listen to me, Jesus doesn't have a plan B. Well, if the disciple thing doesn't work out, here's plan B. There's no plan B. This is what we do. This is your mission for your life. Mom, your mission for your life is for you to start making disciples of your kids. Dad, you wanna know what you're gonna hear on Father's Day? Your mission for your life is to make disciples of your kids first. That doesn't mean you don't come to church in June. You're like, I got it now. But that is our mission, and we need to be obedient to it. And that's what, as a pastor, I'm concerned for some that that for so long we've been self-focused during this time of COVID. Worried about me, worried about Am I gonna get the virus? Worried about opportunities where I could get it, all those things. And listen, don't hear me on this. Absolutely, we need to be careful, we need to be responsible, we need to be caring for other people, that's not what I'm saying. But it was so easy and is so easy to be so self-focused in this time that we forget why we're even here. Listen to me, and I hope you hear this, and what I'm saying and not hearing and what I'm not saying. But I could get in my car today and drive home and get in a car accident. Death is all around me. It doesn't mean I'm like gonna play chicken on my way home today. But death is all around me. I'm never going to eliminate risk from my life And what motivates me to move from risk to mission is understanding that Jesus has changed my life and he's given me the opportunity to change others. We have a mission. What is it? To make what? Disciples. Listen to me. Do you ever think about this? You are discipling people, whether you mean to or not. Because the word disciple just simply means a follower. So moms, you are discipling your kids. That's not the question. The question is, who are you encouraging them to follow? And probably one of the biggest things that's weighed heaviest on my heart, just to speak of the Pereira household, is during this time, I am showing my kids, Lily and Lucas, what it looks like to love Jesus through difficult circumstances. Your kids, I'm about to say something that you already know but scares you to death. Your kids are always watching. 
even when you think they're not. They're watching, and, they're, and as they get older, they tell you things that you didn't think they saw. They drive home the reality that they are always watching. And everything that I do, and my wife Lori does, is testifying to the reality that Jesus is making a difference in mom and dad's life. How have you done that in this last year? Because Jesus has given you a mission, and it's not self-focused. It's meant to be lived out in the lives of other people. Think about this. You are here, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are here today because someone loved you enough to take this mission seriously. I stand here today because of men and women outside of my parents who loved me enough to invest in me, to take me to lunch, expose me to public speaking, took me on trips that I thought were a drag in the moment and now I see the purpose of them. All different types of things. So many people investing in my life. Why? Because they believe they had a mission. So do I want to be the person that causes the kink in the hose from continuing? I don't. Do you? Well, Jesus gave the church a mission. And what is it? It's to make disciples. Let me give you the second thing and we'll be done. How did Jesus equip the church to accomplish this mission? Because have you ever had it in life where someone tells you to do something and they don't show you how to do it? I have many times. Like, like my, dad was, my dad was a pastor and he was a good public speaker and I got to learn a lot from him on that, but my dad was not a mechanic. So Lori has seen the evolution of Johnny Pereira over 21 years. And praise God she can say that what I know how to do now is much different than what I knew how to do at 22, about to turn 23 years of age when we got married. YouTube's a big factor of that, but nevertheless. And so you could tell me all day long how to change the oil in a car. You could tell me I need to do it. You can tell me every 3,000 miles. You could tell me what oil I'm supposed to do. You could tell me all that stuff. But unless you showed me and equipped me to do it, you can tell me all day long and it still ain't gonna happen. So how did Jesus equip the church, you, to do what he's called you to do so you don't live in this frustration. Well, Jesus, you told me how to make disciples, but I don't know how, and so I wanna be obedient, but God, I don't know how. Well, I'm gonna solve that mystery for you today. See, here's what Jesus first did. To, is he's given pastoral leadership to the church to equip you and encourage you in your discipleship, in your walk with Jesus. That is a gift from God, and I'm not saying that because I'm one of those people I'm saying that because of what God's word said. Turn over to Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Let me also say, give a shameless plug for our Bible reading plan that you can get at salemchapel.org. And every one of the passages of scripture that will answer from God's word why we do church is in there. And I encourage you to find it, to download it, to follow along with it, to read the passages of scripture for yourself so that you don't just take my word for it. But Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, this was one of the passages. It says this, and he, 
He is, can you take a guess? Yeah, I know what you're feeling. You're like, is it Jesus? I think it's supposed to be Jesus. Yes, you're right. He is Jesus. So those of you who took the risk, A+. And he gave, look at, Jesus gave the church what? He gave them apostles. Speaking of the 12 apostles. So you're like, well, John, I thought there was 11. Yes, there was 11, and then in Acts, they appoint another one. You have 12 apostles. What made an apostle apostle? They had to see Jesus face to face. So as the church starts, as Paul is writing this to the church at Ephesus, He's saying, hey, the Lord gave apostles to start the church. That is a gift to the church. Then he says, the prophets. Then he says, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and the building up of Christ. Now, there's a lot there, so let me just unpack it real quick. We don't have apostles today because nobody's seen Jesus face to face. And even though we don't have some of these gifts like they did in the church back then, we still have um, giftings that we could use to speak to that. So though we don't have physical apostles, we do have people that are gifted as leaders of the church with a pioneering spirit. Like they're the ones that are gonna say, this trail hasn't been blazed yet and this is where we're going and God's called me to do this and who wants to go along with me? Right, those are church planters. Those are people that go into churches that need to be restarted and rebuilt. Like not everybody's wired that way. But God has given some who have that gifting. Then you have prophets. Those are people who literally speak the truth. Like you had prophets in the Old Testament that said, this says the Lord, everybody else is going this way and doing what they wanna do and God would raise up people to say, no, 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 this is what God's word says. Those are those people that lovingly, you know what they're good at? giving you a kick in the pants. Thank God for the people in my life that loved me enough that sometimes I needed an arm around me and other times I needed a kick in the pants. Those are the people that are brave enough to say, no, 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 this is what God's word says, this is what we're gonna do, here's why. They're saying it out of love, but they're speaking it clearly so you can't mince words about it. God is gifting the church with that, we need prophets. We have evangelists. Those are the people that, it's not that, well, they're the only people that should share Jesus with other people. It's not that. But they're evangelists that have the gifting to put, like I say, the cookies on the bottom shelf. Everybody know what I mean by that? Or maybe that's just a phrase that I grew up with. But they know how to make complex things simple. Like, so I have some individuals that wrote books that are on my bookshelf in my office that I use to prep for messages. And I love their resources and I love their books. But I've listened to them at conferences that I've attended and I'm like, bro, it is more interesting to watch paint on the wall dry than to listen to you. (laughs) Godly men, godly women, but they don't have the gift of being an evangelist. I'm talking about people that just, you sit down with them and all of a sudden they're able to relate in a, in a unique way and they're able to share the gospel in a way that, that, that just allows his people not to tense up but to ease. That is a gifting from the Lord that God gives to leaders in the church. Then you have shepherd teachers. Like the same thing, there's just certain people, we're all called the shepherd. 
We're all called to care for people as leaders. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing. But there are certain individuals that I've had in my life that are really gifted shepherds. And it's like, dude, I don't even know you that long. But for whatever reason, I feel like I can bear my soul to you. God has gifted leaders, some leaders with an exemplary gift to just be able to care and to empathize in a unique and miraculous way. And you have shepherds and teachers. Those terms are used where they're able to care for you, but they're able to take God's word and they're able to minister to your cares or your hurts in a special way. Why do I take time to emphasize those things? Because those are gifts that God has given to the church to you. For what purpose? I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 12. What purpose? Can you read this with me? To equip, come on, to equip the saints for what? Of what? The work of the ministry. It does not say, does it? If it does, find a different translation. I'll help you get a Bible. Verse 12. To, it doesn't say to, he's given these gifts to do the work of the ministry. These gifts are given to come alongside of you to help you know how to read the Bible, to help you know how to pray, to help you know how to share how Jesus has changed your life, to help you know how to pattern your life after Jesus, to help you be able to discern how do I hear God and obey him, those types of things, how to abide in Jesus, that the Lord has gifted these gifts to come alongside of you and to help you equip you. We live in a medical community. We got a lot of med students that attend our church. Here's what never happens in med school. You just sit for four years and the doctors tell you what to do and then you just show up in an operating room and you just start cutting people wide open. I'm thankful it doesn't work like that, are you? No, what do you do? You apprentice. You just don't get the knowledge but you also have to practice it. So that why? So that you can be equipped for the work that you want to do. See, here at Salem Chapel, we take discipleship seriously. And I'm not gonna take time to walk through all of this because in the fall, we're gonna walk through exactly how we are going to do that intentionally in our church. We have a system, we have tools, because discipleship is apprenticeship. And my point in that is the Lord has given leaders to the church not to do the work, though we are called to do our own part, but the main work of leaders is to come alongside of you and to walk alongside of you and to apprentice you so that you know how to read your Bible, so that you know how to pray, so that you know how to grow in your relationship with the Lord. Why? So that you can do that with someone else. God is a God of multiplication, not addition. We've had people in our church that are like, hey, uh, would you, you know, what's a good book that I can read to help me in my relationship with the Lord? I'm like, well, I'm glad you asked. Do you have a Bible? They're like, yeah, I have a Bible. I was like, you got the book. And here's our Bible reading tool that can help you as you take time to read the Bible. You know what's awesome? All of a sudden, we're starting to have people in our church, if you're in a life group, you've used this Bible reading tool all year. And we're having people say, you know what, all of a sudden, I'm not anymore coming to church saying, I hope Johnny gives me something good today. They're like, I literally saw what God 
said in this passage of scripture and how it applied to my life, and it's amazing. We just had a certain person, my wife was, was showing a lady that in our church, and she's like, I've already told three other people. Why? Because God just hasn't given us a mission. He's given us the ability and the tools to be equipped for the mission. And the first way that we're equipped in the church to do what God has called us to do is through leaders who believe it's their primary purpose not to do the work, but to come alongside of you and help you grow in your relationship with the Lord so that you know how to do it better with others. You don't think Leanne had a purpose why she was standing up here and saying, Salem Kids is partnering with you all to help you do what? To raise your children, not do it for you, but to come alongside of you and to partner with you and to help you know how to Walk with your child and introduce them to who Jesus is. There's no plan B. He's given leaders. Here's the second thing he's given. He's given you unique gifts. You. Not just the leaders in the church. You. To use to disciple others. Say you with me. You, say me, me. He's given you gifts to not just use on yourself, to not just use to accumulate a paycheck, to not just use to build an empire unto yourself. No, no, no. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he's given you those gifts to use for him in the lives of others. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27 is the passage of scripture that drives home this. I don't have time to expound on it, but I do wanna read it. It says this, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. You know what I just love about what we've looked at already? That what Jesus is driving home is there is equality in the body of Christ. It doesn't matter what race you are, it doesn't matter what nation you're from, it doesn't matter uh, what your background is, it doesn't matter how much you make, it doesn't matter if you came from a single parent home, no parents, both parents, whatever it is, you have the opportunity to be part of something special called the church through Jesus Christ's love for you. I love how he makes no bones about that. Verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. He's using the body to illustrate how the church is designed. Verse 15, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, then that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, do I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less of part of the body. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, it would be the sense of smell. But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. We don't have time to read the rest of that. You can read that in our reading plan. What's the point? That every single one of us have been given unique gifts for the purpose of making disciples of Jesus. So I could easily look at myself and say, well, 
Johnny, I can't do what you do, and I can't get up on stage, and I can't stand in front of people. I mean, some of you, getting up on stage, you're like popping antacids this morning like Tic Tacs, because you knew you were going to have to stand up here this morning and have a microphone and read a passage of Scripture, or, or stand in a, in a tub and have to be asked questions. Not everybody's given the same gift, and it's easy for us because to be able to say, just like Paul's getting at here, well, because I'm not an eye and I'm an ear, then therefore I'm less than that. Well, listen, if every one of us had the gift of, let's just say, a mouth, there'd be a whole lot of talking and nothing else happening. I love the illustration of the body because you could look at your body parts and you could say, you know what, if I had to lose something, and I had to choose between my thumb or my eye, probably most of us would say, well, I love you thumb, but you gots to go. But think about it, if you don't have your thumb, and someone doesn't have their thumb, they don't have the strength to grab a hammer and to build a house that a family can live in and experience love This little tendon right here, this little Achilles tendon, that when you get it on enough, you'll find out, hurts every time you exercise. You're like, it's Achilles tendon. But that Achilles tendon allows someone to run away, stand on a stage, be presented with a gold medal, causing other people to want to strive for their dreams. Like, what's the big deal about a kneecap? I don't even like my kneecaps. They're ugly. Like, that's why I never wear shorts. Like, you could be saying that right now. Because that kneecap allows a firefighter to run into a home that's burning to save a child from it. See, my point is, and what, G, what, what Paul is making here in this passage of Scripture, is every body part is essential to the body being healthy and working properly. So when I criticize or minimize the giftings that I have been giving and comparing them to someone else who has a different gift than me, I am minimizing the giver. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been given special and unique gifts given by God that I don't have that you have and vice versa and the person sitting next to you different than the person sitting on your right. Why? Because every gift is important to fulfill the mission that God has given us. Listen to me. I'm, if you're a mechanic and you are good with your hands, you are going to be able to relate and to be able to share the gospel in a way that that person can understand that I never could who have no knowledge of an engine whatsoever. I just know I like it when it works. Every experience, every bit of pain that causes you to be hesitant, when you meet that person and you're like, you know what, I went through that same pain. Let me share with you how Jesus made a difference. You know what, I remember when I was like you and I didn't believe in God at all and all of a sudden the Lord changed my heart and changed my life. Let me share with you what Jesus did to me. You see, what is God doing? He's using the gifts and experiences you have been given when you are obedient to what God has called you to do. That is the purpose of the church. There's a website that I encourage you to go to 
that is like a spiritual gifts assessment. What it does is it takes the way that you're already wired and gifted and shows you how to point those things to spiritual things. The website's there, it's free, gifts.churchgrowth.org. I encourage you to do that if you've never done it before and ask yourself, Lord, where's an opportunity for me to share how Jesus is changing my life with someone else? Do you stand with me this morning? I appreciate you being patient with me. I know we went longer today. Can I encourage you? And we have a king, and his name is Jesus. And he's given you and he's given me a mission, which means that you're important. Don't ever let someone tell you that you're not. And you are significant. And God's not done with you yet because if he was, you'd be with him right now. He still has work for you to do. And he still has work for me to do. And he's given us the church and allowed us to be a part of it because it is the means to accomplish his mission. Lord, we thank you today for all that we have been able to experience today. From birth to adulthood, God, we praise you for the lives that you are changing in this place. We thank you for the disciples that you are making. God, may we be committed to the mission, to that mission, that you have for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing to him.